If you have your Bible, turn with me to Mark 3, 13, I'm sorry, Mark 13, beginning in verse 3. Mark 13, verse 3. Now, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And Jesus, answering them, began to say, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will deceive many. Now look over at verse 21. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, he is here, he is there, do not believe it. I want to talk with you today about fighting heresy. We need to fight it because if we don't, it just continues to grow and to multiply. And Christian people have got to uh, take a stand, stand against those things that are ungodly and wrong uh, and are trying to fly under the veil of something that's good and righteous when it's not. And so this morning I want to talk with you about that. There are many scriptures in the Bible that people construe to relate to the last days, the, the coming, second coming of our Lord. Actually, very few verses talk about the end of our earthly calendars. Christ was very much aware that before the end time would come, there would be a lot of people that would rise up that were heretics, it would be people that would be leading the folks the wrong way. He knew that was coming. Today, you can look in the religious section of the uh, Tampa paper, and even in Tampa, there are hundreds of wacko groups. <laughs> if you look in the paper, you'll see some of the most crazy things, crazy philosophies that people have that have nothing to do whatsoever with biblical truth. You wonder, why is that in the religion section? That's just nuts. Well, you can find everything in the paper from the psychic hotline to dog and cat theology. I mean, you can find anything. Heresy is a very interesting subject when it's related to religion. Just who is a heretic is determined by a person's personal point of view. That's the way they tell uh, who they think is a heretic. When I was in seminary in Fort Worth, I kept hearing about this little barbecue place that everybody said had great barbecue. Well, I love barbecue. So uh, I finally found it. It was just a little tiny place. They had six or seven tables was all in the place. It was kind of a mom-and-pop organization, and uh, it, was, it was small. Well, uh, there were a lot of little religious plaques on the walls all around the place, and I thought, well, good. These must be godly people. Uh, I'm glad to to know that they are, because I was going there about three times a week, and uh, I thought, that's all good. Well, 
one day after reading some of the plaques around where I was uh, seated, I went up to them and I said, uh, I noticed all your plaques. I really like them. I said, where do y'all go to church? And they told me where they went to church. It was the name that I had never heard before. Uh, They asked me where I went to church. And I said, I pastor a little country church about 100 miles south of here. I'm a student at the seminary, uh, the Baptist seminary on the other side of town. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to learn stuff so I can be a good pastor. Well, the man, all of a sudden, forcefully, emphatically looked at me and said, you're going straight to hell. <laughs> I noticed his wife wasn't saying anything. She was, she was standing kind of behind him. And when he was saying these things, she was kind of nodding her head like saying, too bad, this young guy. He's really on the wrong road. You know, it was hard to enjoy the barbecue as much after that. <laughs> I want us to think of, together this morning about heresy. I don't know how, how often you think about it. Uh, you know, there was a thing called the Salem Witch Trials. How many of you have ever been to Salem, Massachusetts? How many of you? Good night. Look at all those hands. A lot of you have been there. I bet most of you who have spent much time there have been to see uh, the buildings related to that. You might not know anything about that. Let me tell you a little bit about it. In 1692, two girls, one was nine, one was 11, they said that certain people in that community were witches. And at first, you know, the people kind of thought, well, these are just two little girls. They don't know what they're talking about. But the girls kept it up. And finally, uh, one of the neighbors to the people that uh, the girls had said was a witch, they noticed the person doing some things that they thought were a little strange. And so the, the conversation began to build around in the town about these people being witches. So uh, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, uh, one of the leaders in the community said, well, I think this lady is a witch. And they started having people file suit against these people. They didn't want them living in their town. Well, they had this uh, trial. And then they had another trial. And then they had another trial, another trial. Well, if you're familiar with this at all, you know that they hanged 11 people. Hanged them. Seven other people died in jail. One man... Uh, is said, uh, died by pressing stones around him. I don't know exactly what that's about, but evidently he died when they put a big stone on him. Well, it was all a hoax. Every bit of it was a hoax. These girls just made it all up. They were heretics. And people followed what they were saying. And a lot of people died. It was just terrible. I bet most of you don't know this. Did you know that John Calvin had a man killed? Did you know that? He had a fellow burned at the stake. 
The man's name was Servetus because Calvin thought that he was a heretic. So Calvin had them take him out and burn him. The church and state had joined. They were as one in Geneva, and Calvin had all the power, and he could do whatever he wanted to do. Sir Thomas More said, a lot of things that the king did not like. So the king had him killed, beheaded in the Tower of London, July the 6th, 1535, because he would not agree that Henry VIII was the supreme ruler of the world. Sir Thomas thought that God was in charge of the world. Well... They killed him. Have you ever been called a heretic? I have a few times, not many. But uh, I I think I've had it two or three times in 54 years. If somebody has called you a heretic, it makes you feel funny, doesn't it? You know, you think, well, I'm a good Christian. Why in the world are you saying that to me? Heresy arises from four main causes. Now, the title of the message, again, is Fighting Heresy. We need to know what these four causes are so we can effectively fight heresy. We need to fight it in our day. Number one, heresies arise from constructing doctrine to suit ourselves. In the seminary, they call that proof texting. You pick out a verse from over here and a verse from over there and a verse from over there and, and you kind of you take these verses totally out of their context, totally out of the place where they can be understood correctly, and they just kind of mix them up and get them lined up to where uh, if you read them that way, they begin to say something totally different than what they were meant to say. If you pick a verse from here and there, You're doing great harm to the Word of God. That's not the way it's supposed to be done. Many people do this. They just make up a doctrine and then they try and find some verses that substantiate whatever it is that they're saying, whatever they think, because they can live with whatever they think a lot better than some of the doctrine that Christ handed down to us. If I were to give you a pencil and paper this morning, I've done this a couple times over the years. If I were to give everybody here pencil and paper and ask you to write down the three most important doctrines in Christianity, a number of you would write down something to do with love or with grace or with blessings. And, of course, all of those things are wonderful and they're all Uh, biblically oriented, but judgment wouldn't be on many of your lists, would it? Tithing, perhaps, wouldn't be written every time. What about a doctrine of the Lord living through your life every minute of every day? For many people, these would be very uncomfortable doctrines. Now listen carefully right here. We are heretics if we don't believe them. 
and if we don't follow them. And if we talk in a different direction than the things that support those ideas biblically. Number two, heresy also arises from overstressing one part of the truth. I had a friend 40-some years ago in Dallas that preached on the book of Revelation every Sunday. I think it was about 13 years. Every Sunday. He loved Revelation. And, buddy, he just zeroed in on it. And that was it. And uh, he was a good guy. You know, he was a, a good Christian guy. But he was given a book report on one chapter and not on the whole book. You know, you, you really have to, to read the whole thing, to get the whole message, to understand it all. You can't just take one thing out and stress it and stress it and stress it. It doesn't work that way. If we think only of God's love, our religion can become a very easygoing, sentimental kind of thing. There is more to the New Testament than Luke 15. The lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, the prodigal. God is love, no question about that. But God is also justice. And we need to know that. We must see our faith in the larger perspective. We need the whole truth, not just a little part of it. We need the whole truth. A door-to-door salesman was uh, going down the street, going to every house. And when he came to the next house, there were a bunch of kids playing out in the front yard. And he went to the oldest boy in that group, and he says, is your mother at home? And the little boy said, yes, she's at home. And so he went up and knocked on the door. No response. So he thought, well, I'll knock on the door some more. So he knocked harder, louder. No response. He got uh, frustrated, and he went back to the boy and said, I thought you said your mother was at home. And the boy said, she is at home. I don't live here. (laughs) We need the whole truth in our theology, not just part of it. Number three, heresy also arises from trying to produce a religion which will be popular and attractive. A lot of people are trying to do that. To be popular and attractive, real Christianity has to be watered down. Heretics say there are a whole lot of ways to heaven. If you don't like this way, then go this way. If you don't like that way or that way, then go this other way. Some, of course, on radio and television, they'll say, whatever they think the people want to hear. That's what they'll say. Do you ever, on our TV, there's about eight channels that are designated for religious programming. Every once in a while, I, you know, kind of flip over to those and kind of run through them, see what they're saying. And some of it is just totally nuts. I mean, just totally nuts. 
you know, on the radio, there's so many channels that are geared for religious stuff, and, uh, you know, you flip around and listen to what all they're saying, and some of it, is, it doesn't have any relationship whatsoever to Christianity. Well, if you take the condemnation, the humility, and the moral demand out of the Word of God, then it becomes something less than what it was supposed to be. In the Unitarian Church, there is no call from the cross. They don't sing, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That song isn't in their book. Uh, There is no talk of turning from your sin. None whatsoever. There is no talk of confessing your sin and placing your faith and your trust in Christ is your Lord and Savior. They don't do that. When the pastor preaches just a social, feel-good gospel, and they do that all the time, you are going to the wrong church, and you need to change. Acts 4.12 is true. Neither is there salvation in any other, For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one name, and it's the name of Jesus. It is not our job to alter Christianity to suit people. It is our job to alter people to fit Christianity. In the last days, only the Christians will be saved. Only the ones that have yielded their heart, their life to the Lord Jesus. Not club members, just the folks that are believers. Number four, heresy arises from divorcing oneself from the Christian fellowship. When you begin to stay away from the church... You begin to stay away from God's people, and you come up with your own ideals and your own uh, plans to do everything and to decide everything, then at that time, you're not ready for the last days. There is a spirit associated with God's people. I can't define it precisely, but I know it when I see it. I was anxious to get to church today. Do you know why? Because this is God's day, and this is God's house, and this is God's word, and God's spirit is here, and God's people are here. And that's where I want to be when it comes Sunday morning. I want to be with God's people right in the presence of Almighty God. That's what it's all about. Have you ever seen a company of men marching by? I know all of you in the military uh, have seen this hundreds of times. When you see the company going by, and there's one guy out of step. He's out of step. I was in ROTC at Baylor, and uh, I didn't know how to march. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff. And I, I think I was the worst one, and the guy would, you know, correct me and get me to do it right. 
I can't keep time with the music either. Have you, you know, when people are clapping, I get off of the rhythm. I can't, can't always stay with it. You know, when, when they're marching by, the sergeant is calling the cadence. This one guy is out of step. Do you suppose he thinks that he's in step and everybody else <laughs> is out of step? But don't you suppose if we brought in some outside judges or if the guy would listen a bit more closely to the sergeant as he calls the cadence, that maybe he would realize that he would find, in fact, that he was the one that was out of step. We want to get involved with the people of God. We want to walk in step with the people of God. You know, I say this over and over. I apologize for being redundant, but I think it's so important. I think every single one of you needs to be involved in a Bible study group in our church. Why? Well, probably nobody in this service is going to stand up and say, Pastor, I'm having a lot of trouble with the lady that lives next door. I don't know if I need to stay with her or stay with my wife. What do you think? (laughs) Nobody's ever done that in any service I've been in. But you know what happens in the Bible study group? You begin to learn who the regulars are. You begin to learn who obviously knows the Bible. You begin to learn who has a loving spirit. You begin to learn who has time for people. And one day after class, you can go up to that person and say, you know, I'm having some real problems in my life. Would you break away sometime for maybe a half an hour and talk with me about it? You know, it happens. That happens. You know, when you get in the smaller group, the the worship experience has a certain purpose. The Bible study experience in our various classes has a certain purpose. And they're different purposes. And we need both very, very much. We need to have that small group that prays for us when we're down, that lifts us up when we're sick, that cares about us when we're down and out, that can help us when things have gone wrong. With each passing day, we are one day closer to our Lord's return. That's obvious. With each passing day, we are one day closer to the conclusion of our earthly life. I wonder during these days whose cadence we are all following. Are we listening to the cadence of a heretic millions and millions of people across America are they are are you listening to the cadence that is called by the various melodies of the world there's a lot of those a million of those and different people tune in to different ones And they follow it and say, boy, this is new, this is exciting. 
I think I'm really going to like this. And they get involved in something that is totally, totally wrong. Or are you in step in cadence today with the people of God? That's where we want to be in step. Some of you might be saying this morning, Pastor, I don't know what a heretic is. I don't even know what a heresy is. Would you please give me an example of that so I'll know what you're talking about? Well, we can do that with one that is very close by. Scientology is a cult that's based over in Clearwater. You've pro- if you read the paper, they've had a lot of big articles on the front page this, in the past two weeks because those people are trying to buy all the buildings in downtown Clearwater, and they already own most of them. Heaven knows what they'll do when they get all of them. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard was the founder of Scientology in 1954. The basics of his belief system are found in the book that he wrote entitled Dianetics. That's the Bible for the Scientologists, that book, Dianetics. He believed that every person has a thetan within them. Uh, This is their immortal human soul, this thetan. The thetan is your spiritual being. The thetan is the true timeless identity of every individual. Scientology has no clear definition of the nature or person of God. God is defined in vague pantheistic terminology as embracing the allness of all. Does that make any sense, the allness of all? That's stupid. Scientologists believe that neither Lord Buddha or Jesus Christ were operating thetans. And Scientology, the OCs, the OTs, the operating thetans, that's the highest rank that you can get in Scientology. They're the head people that uh, know everything. Uh, they're, They're the ones that you aspire to be like. Scientologists believe that there are gods above all other gods, and there are gods beyond the gods of the universe. Scientologists also describe their religion as a cathartic journey into happiness and clarity of mind. The Church of Scientology critics call it kooky science fiction disguised as a religion for a tax break. Hubbard was a science fiction writer before he started Scientology. He never had any kind of theological training at all. Let me make a general statement this morning about heretics. For over a thousand years, Biblical scholars have been studying the Bible. Now, in Hillsborough County, there are a lot of biblical scholars. We have religious schools. Uh, we have 
lot of pastors that have studied all their life. We have a lot of lay people that have really been serious about studying the Word of God. And they're biblical scholars, even though they've never been to graduate school about uh, the Bible. Well, if there are hundreds, if not thousands, in Hillsborough County, how many do you think there are in America? How many do you think there are around the world? How many do you think there have been since the first coming together of the books into the canon that we now believe to be the Word of God? Lots and lots of people, millions of people, I would say, over these years and all around the world have been biblical scholars. There have been many translations. There have been many commentaries that have come out. Now, here's the point. If some writer or some professor, like L. Ron Hubbard, if somebody comes out with a new idea about a well-established tenet of our faith, there is a 99.9% chance that they are wrong. And it's higher than that. What would be higher than 99.9? That's as high as I can get. The Bible doesn't change. God doesn't change. Our mission in the world doesn't change. And if anybody is trying to lead you away from any of those three things, then they, in a way, are heretics. And you've got to be careful about that. You've got to listen to what they're saying and put it up beside the Word of God and judge it in that way. Please, for crying out loud, don't listen, don't follow a heretic. Don't take steps that will evolve into heresy. Hear the call of God on your life. The steps will lead to the salvation that each of us desire and perhaps have already had. The steps that will lead to a lasting fellowship with the family of God. That's what we want. That's what we need. Until we get that, uh, we're out farming in the wrong field, and we're doing the wrong thing. This morning, if you're here in the house, and for whatever reason you've never publicly professed your faith in Christ, you've never asked the Lord to forgive you of your sin, won't you do that today? Won't you do that in these moments of invitation? We pray that you will. If you'd like to join a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, we'd love to have you come and join with us. The doors of our church are open, and we hope, of course, that you would come. And we'll be family to you. We'll try and love you to the very best of our ability. I'm going to stand down here at the front. Brother Jim's going to come and lead us in a song. If the Spirit of God is moving you, then slip out, slip forward to take a stand for Jesus.